what we're all guilty of, I think, is unconscious bias. And we're all guilty of this because of the way we're brought up, our value system. And you naturally, I think, recruit in your own image. This is, again, a human characteristic. And so if you've got organizations where you've got a high dominance of a single, a single sex, it's usually male, a single age group, a single background, you do not get diversity of thinking. And that's the danger, I think, with any organization. And I did, I, I did experience some issues in my career at various junctures. And when I first started working, my boss said to me, it was five o'clock or 5.30 on a Friday, and he said, you need to leave the office now, Julie, because the supermarkets will close soon. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I did get this kind of image being projected. Hello, and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Julie Brown is Chief Operating and Financial Officer of Burberry, having joined the company from Smith & Nephew, where she was Group CFO from 2013 to 2017. Julie has spent the majority of her career to date at AstraZeneca, working with them for a total of 25 years, undertaking 11 different roles in four countries across three continents. With a great many strings to her bow, Julie is also a non-executive director and audit chair of Roche Holding Limited and sits on the advisory board to the Mayor of London. A fellow of the Institute of Chartered Accountancy and the Institute of Tax after qualifying with KPMG, alongside this Julie is also one of the founding ambassadors of the Prince's Trust Women Supporting Women initiative is a patron of Oxford Women in Business and a much-valued judge for the Women of the Future programme. I grew up in, uh, in Cheshire. I grew up in the countryside, actually. My parents converted a farmhouse and we had lots of animals, including uh, 21 mice that the cat caught that I kept. I used to rescue them and keep them. Um, I went to a local school. Um, I just went to the comprehensive school in the secondary education and then went, uh, went on to university. So, you know, a normal childhood, climbing trees, riding horses, donkeys, um, just having an amazing childhood, really. Do you miss the countryside or do you go back quite often? I do miss the countryside. Yeah, we've lived in, uh, I've lived in four different countries now and, and three different continents, but I miss... I miss my, you know, my original family in Cheshire and we, we do try and go back as often as we possibly can just because it's, uh, it's part of my DNA really. Having said that, I've been in London now for seven, eight years and I've adapted also to city life. What were you like as a student? Were you particularly diligent, hardworking? Because you studied at Warwick Uni, didn't you? I did, yes, yeah. I, I think that I was, um, I was always interested in learning. 
And in fact, my mother told me that I registered myself at the local primary school when I was four. <laughs> I walked to the school and registered myself and the teachers said this was most unusual for a child to do this and that I wasn't old enough to go to the school at that stage. But I've always had this interest in learning and just always had this massive appetite, I guess, for just broadening my, my own horizons and my knowledge base. And so university was a great opportunity to do that. My best friend at university was American. So it was my first taste of the outside world, really. And it caused me to go to America when I was 19 and work for three months in Chicago, just inspired by her speaking about America. So yeah, it's all, I've always had this thirst for knowledge. What did you study? Was it finance or business based or was it no, none of those things? Actually. I, did, I did social science and the reason I did it was I was very aware of the inequalities in the world and sort of what was driving them and also the difference that wealth can make and education then goes on to make to careers. And, you know, I benefited from a government grant when I went to university. And so I was always interested in learning more about that in terms of making an impact on society and the inequalities that we face in society, which now COVID has emphasised even more, those inequalities. I then left, when I left university, I got a first, and uh, I went on to do chartered accountancy, which was completely different. And that's because I wanted to learn more about business. And I worked for KPMG because I wanted to learn about business and experience different industries and gain access to a qualification that was hopefully going to set me up for the future in the business world, but always having this social conscience in the background. I read in a previous interview, you said that you feel finance provides a great foundation and a platform for growth. Was that what you were looking for? in the first instance to help develop and nourish your own career? Yes, I was. I mean, I was thinking about, I was fascinated with business. I worked in a newspaper office in a holiday, in a summer holiday job, and it gave me a sense of running a business. I started on reception, but then graduated to sort of looking at the accounts, and it taught me a lot about the running of the business and ways in which to improve it. And secondly, because my, my father died, unfortunately, the day of the A-level results, I was really keen to get a profession which would be a stable profession and put me in a, a good position going forward. And I thought with a chartered accountancy qualification, it was really a passport to being able to work in most roles in business in the future. So that was the sort of rationale for, for doing it. And then you spent 25 years of your career at AstraZeneca. Was that the next step on from training with KPMG? Was that the first, not for yeah, want of yeah. a better word, proper job you had in the, in the working world? Yes, it was. I spent, I spent four years with KPMG and ICI, AstraZeneca was originally ICI. And I decided it was the biggest blue chip multinational in the UK at the time. And they were advertising for somebody to work with the research and development department in finance in the pharmaceuticals business. And AstraZeneca specialized, or ICI at the time, specialized in cardiovascular medicine and disease. And my father died of a heart attack. So I was very, I guess I've always had a passion for the businesses I've worked for. And this seemed like a perfect fit. I could use the skill set that I developed in KPMG and apply it to ICI in an area that was intrinsically close to my heart because of what happened to my father. So. For me, it was a real win-win. And 
I originally joined for two years. The idea was I would join ICI for two years, learn how to run a blue chip multinational company in two years, <laughs> and then move to a smaller, a bigger role in a smaller organization. But I actually stayed for 25 years because ICI became AstraZeneca and I stayed for 25 years, did 11 roles in three continents and four countries across four functions. So amazing company, amazing career management and amazing opportunities and also very focused on diversity inclusion. On that point, diversity and inclusion, obviously being a woman in the roles that you were doing within AstraZeneca, did you ever find it a challenge or a struggle to be represented, I guess, at that kind of level? Because obviously as you climb your own career ladder, did you come up against any kind of... It's interesting to talk about, isn't it? Because we feel like we're also open-minded and welcoming of diversity, and particularly with gender diversity. But I know that you yourself do a lot in regards to women's representation in the boardroom. What was your experience of that in the roles that you were doing and as you progressed through AstraZeneca? Uh, yes, AstraZeneca, I think, was an amazing company with a strong HR function that really supported the development across multiple gender diversity, nationality diversity. Having said that, I think what we're all guilty of, I think, is unconscious bias. And we're all guilty of this because of the way we're brought up, our value system. And you naturally, I think, recruit in your own image. This is, again, a human characteristic. And so if you've got organizations where you've got a high dominance of a single, a single sex, it's usually male, a single age group, a single background, you do not get diversity of thinking. And that's the danger, I think, with any organization. And I did... I, I did experience some issues in my career at various junctures and when I first started working my boss said to me it was five o'clock or five thirty on a Friday and he said you need to leave the office now Julie because the supermarkets will close soon. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I did get this kind of image being projected and then of course I've also studied a great deal about this because most you know a number of universities have done studies and the Heidi Rosenberg experiment that was done at Harvard was very stark where they split the room, same case study of Heidi Rosenberg, and they split the, the room and basically half of the students got the same case study called Heidi Rosenberg and the other half got the same details but called Howard Rosenberg. And they were asked to comment on the achievement, it was a private equity technology entrepreneur, the achievements of Heidi and Howard and they were completely the same when it came to wealth creation, tenacity etc but when they asked social questions around empathy, emotional connection, how would this person be working in a team, Heidi scored far more lowly than Howard and these were a, you know a group of students and what was found from this study is that success and likability are positively correlated for men, but negatively correlated for women. And that's in our belief system. I don't know if you heard as well, uh, Gillian Gillard, she's just recently launched her book, Women in Leadership. And she was saying that the beauty at the moment is with COVID, courses are online as opposed to being in person. Mm. And they just changed the name of the same course 
male and female, and the course with the male name got the highest rating, it was the same lecturer. So there is some mm. fascinating, fascinating data there to say that we still have this intrinsic bias. So I think, you know, the, the lesson to me is try to recruit diverse teams, get that diversity of thinking and have role models at the top of the organization that can foster that thinking. And then just educate yourself about unconscious bias. Companies force yourself to have diverse slates. Otherwise, the recruitment will not happen if you don't have them on the original slate. And that's the way to do it, isn't it? Kind of chip away, keep chipping away, keep reinforcing that message. Otherwise, nothing is ever going to change. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. For you, is there a standout moment or person in particular that you would say has helped mould your interests and kind of set you off on this particular career path or someone that still helps you today or that you rely on as a mentor or a word of wisdom when you need somebody in that guise? Um, multiple people actually have taught me so much and I, I always sort of go into relationships with leaders or colleagues with a view of learning as much as possible from people's different experiences in life. I mean a whole series of people come to mind. I had a great and still have a great mentor in the form of John Simons who's now the chairman of Glaxo. He was the CFO of AstraZeneca and went on to Novartis. He's been a great mentor because I think when you're in the CFO role for the first time, if you've got somebody you can speak to who's done it for many years before, they automatically have seen it, done it and know the answers. And so John <laughs> has been, he's saved me a lot of time and grief because he, he, he tends to know the answers with his, his vast experience. And I do that now for other up and coming CFOs. So that's hugely valuable. I think I've always also been inspired by leaders of businesses who've got a real passion for what they do, whether that was in AstraZeneca or when I was a commercial leader myself, I led Latin America in AstraZeneca and we had a mission statement, which was all about, you know, making a difference with great medicines to people. And that was really something that inspired me to do amazing things in my career. Similarly with Roche, their mission is doing now what patients need next. So it's all about foresight to the patient and what the patient needs next. And similarly now with Burberry, hugely inspired by working with Marco Gabetti, who's our leader, who comes from a pure luxury background in taking Burberry on the transformation from being a brand that's very well recognized across the world to being an even more elevated brand across the world. So I've, I've gained so much in my career, too many people to mention. Would you say working in lots of different countries has heavily influenced your general outlook on life and your working life in particular? Yes, it's invaluable. I would always recommend to people who are considering careers to, if they possibly can, pursue an international career. It taught me so much. I think the first time I did it, I moved to Lisbon. So I was changing, I was learning a new language, which happened to be a difficult one. I was changing healthcare system, I was changing culture. I was going to a very different culture from the UK culture and obviously changing all the people I was working with. So my entire team changed. And I moved also from being in finance to being what was called a marketing company president. So I had to learn a lot more about medical regulatory marketing sales than ever I'd had before. So it was a huge learning experience, but doing it in an environment where you have no, I guess, framework because you've moved country 
and having to start completely from scratch with a new set of people and learn your way. And the way you learn is by listening. So you need to listen more than you speak. And that's also been something, you know, you do more of that when you don't know. <laughs> and you know far less when you move internationally because all your, all your juncture points are changing. So I think it's hugely valuable. It teaches you humility. It taught me a lot about working in a second language because I went through spells of working in Portuguese and then Spanish when I moved to Latin America. And it teaches you just to have the greatest of respect for people, no matter where they are in the world. And it's back to the diversity point. You've done so much across your career and also outside of your career too, because obviously you moved on then from AstraZeneca into Smith and & Nephew and now at Burberry from 2017. But also outside of that, you're a non-executive director, as you mentioned, an audit chair of Roche Holding. You're on the business advisory board to the mayor of London. And also you do work with Oxford Women in Business and with the Women of the Future programme and the Prince's Trust. This kind of reeling that off, makes me feel a little bit tired. So <laughs> I kind of like to know how you manage, because I'm sure, I mean, I get overwhelmed and I have nothing in my life compared to what you have. Are there any tips or tricks or things that you take on board when you're trying to juggle or keep all of these balls in the air? I think it, it's energy. <laughs> energy and not actually needing all that much sleep. I'm fortunate, my husband says, you're so lucky that you can get away with six hours sleep a night or even sometimes less because that helps a lot. I also think it's a passion for these things and I think the reason I've probably done this is I've, I've accumulated these things gradually and it happens by stealth. <laughs> so you know I, I, I focus on the core which is Burberry, it's my executive role and that always comes first and I had the opportunity to join Roche which is just an incredible you know, one of the leading pharmaceutical companies in the world. So it was an opportunity that I just could not possibly miss. So those are, those are the two main areas of focus. The other areas are voluntary on my part. And it's because I believe in the cause. The Prince's Trust is because I believe in sustainability. And obviously the female women of the future or Oxford University Women in Business are because I'm passionate about having been a woman in some of the top businesses in the world and the learning from that. I just really want to be able to share that with other people and hopefully they can have some benefit from that. That's my real objective in doing it. Across all the work you've done, is there anything that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? Um, yes, I would definitely refer to a number of things there, but probably most recently it's been working with Burberry and the executive team to manage the COVID crisis in our luxury company. Mm. Because at the peak, we had 60% of our store network closed. And, you know, in the first quarter, obviously, we, we lost almost half our sales overnight. So it was a major change for the company and major change for the team. And I think it's, you know, I'm really proud of the way we as a team navigated that difficult time for Burberry. I'm really proud of the decisions we took during that time. I'm proud of the fact that we didn't take the furlough. We decided to support our own people. And we also engaged, even at the heat of the crisis, in making um, gowns for the National Health Service and surgical masks for the NHS when the NHS was short of protective equipment. So I feel really proud of what we did and, and proud of how we managed the organisation through a really difficult time. 
And how have you managed yourself? How's it been working at home and with your family, I guess? How have you coped being confined or, or not? <laughs> how has it worked for you? Yeah, I think it's, it's been tough. It's been really tough. I'm really glad it happened in a way when it did and not two years earlier because we had good IT technology to allow us <laughs> to do Zoom calls. That's teams true. Call. So the IT has been a big enabler to being able to do the job, but it's been literally 16 hour days for seven days a week for a period of almost six months now. So it's been, it's been intense. I think we've managed surprisingly well, all of us actually working in this way. And I think it will change the way we work going forward, probably permanently. I think a good mixture of having combined workspace to be able to meet people together with doing spells like this using technology actually mm. allows people to have a little bit more freedom than they had before, rather than spending five days in central London commuting into an office. I think a good balance will come out of this, I'm sure. I have some quick fire questions just to finish. So are you ready? I'm ready as much as I can be, I think. <laughs> what would you describe as your greatest success? Um, well, personally, the things that comes to the top of my mind is being a mum, undoubtedly. It changed my life, best thing I've ever done, and there's no feeling like it. How many kids do you have? Two daughters. Oh. 16 this week, she's going to be. Wow. And the other one is, uh, is 19. Yeah. And your greatest failure? Um, greatest failure was probably, I went for a role in AstraZeneca. It was the US CFO role uh, at the time, and I didn't get it. And I actually felt like a complete failure at that mm. point. And I blame myself at the time because my husband was having an operation and I decided not to fly. I did it by video and the video didn't work very well. And I blame myself terribly for doing such a bad job in, in the interview. But actually, it was probably in a way a good thing because it led to me moving into the commercial area and becoming a marketing company president and then a regional president. So it gave me a vast commercial amount of experience which I wouldn't have had mm. had a USC of her role. So things happen for a reason I believe. Yeah, serendipity at play. Yeah. Okay, the mantra of the women of the future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? I think, well Pinky's been a, a huge advocate of this obviously with women of the future and she's an amazing person. I think for me it means working selflessly to support others and building partnerships and trust along the way. And I, in my career and my personal life as well, relationships are the most valuable thing that you can have. And Maya Angelo mentioned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that's really, in a summary, what kindness and collaboration mean. Strive for that. Is there anything that scares you? Yes, lots of things, <laughs> um, lots of things. But I think, I think it's my tendency to bite off more than I can chew. <laughs> it comes from this optimism that sort of pervades everything I do. And just to give an example, I decided or was coerced in a way to do the Princess Trust 45 mile cycle ride past oh, wow. the right. okay. <laughs> for disadvantaged young people for the Princess Trust charity. And I signed up for it 
which was bad since I hadn't been on a bike since I'd been a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I persuaded, even worse, persuaded my team to sign up for this. And some of them hadn't got bikes. And one of my team members said they were lucky if they make it past Fulham before they had a heart attack. So then I felt <laughs> totally responsible. But anyway, we did it. And so as a consequence, I came back and immediately signed up for the Prudential 100 miles, which luckily got cancelled because of COVID. <laughs> Blessing in disguise. So, and I did say to my team, let's do the 100 miles. And there was only one person on my team that would do the 100 miles. So occasionally I get myself into situations that scare me because of my own enthusiasm to do things. That's one example. I get a real sense that you care very much about the team and the people working for you. That's obviously something that you care deeply about. Yes, it is. I mean, I think with the people you work with, it's more than a group of people trying to deliver a a professional product. And I think if you go through adversity, as we've recently done with COVID, the the connection with the team is phenomenal. And yes, you, you you do care for them because they go through different phases in their lives, personal challenges, as well as professional challenges. And I feel, you know, you're there to support them. I think, as Maya Angelou said, people don't forget how you make them feel. And it means so much when they go the extra mile for you, you go the extra mile for them. What's left on your to-do list? Well, there's a definite left left, left on my to-do list, which we were due to do in August. And that was, we were going to take our daughters, and in particular Emily, who's 16, just coming. We were going to take a gorilla trekking in Uganda. Wow. And we were all so excited about doing that. But with COVID, we had to settle for a week in a country cottage in Devon. (laughs) Uh, But we... We, we definitely have on the list that we'll go back there. We, we bought some classrooms for an orphanage in Uganda and we want to go back and be able to see the outcome. That'd be amazing. It's been brilliant speaking to you, Julie. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're a very busy lady and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Woman of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Woman of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womanofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.